Sports are back. Save 40%. Get all access to the Athletics exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. There are six games a day on the docket around the NHL right now, and it's a pretty incredible time to be a fan. Blue Jackets are back in action, playing in the playoffs for the fourth straight season. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been going to bed late because of the West Coast games, and it's a blast to wake up and read the stories all over the Athletic website the next morning with that coffee. Don't miss exclusive, in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up to see for yourself the creativity, the reporting, and the storytelling that sets the Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash front and nationwide, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. 40%. Sports are back and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash front and nationwide. That's front A-N-D nationwide for 40% off an annual subscription. Hope to see you there. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets Podcast. Darren Ports, I'm with you on a Tuesday morning. Allison Lucan is here. Hello. David Cook playing the intro music. Danielle Lehman, the producer. It's uh, it's all good here. Front and Nationwide Podcast. Good to be back with you again. Blue Jackets lead the best of five series against the Toronto Maple Leafs. One game to nothing. I said leaves the Toronto Maple Leafs. They lead one nothing after a two nothing win on Sunday. Game two is later today. Uh, Allison, we've got a lot to talk about. My God, it's good to have a game to talk about. Tell you what, one right. Um, Hard to imagine the Blue Jackets getting having expectations that in any way exceed what happened on Sunday night. That seemed to be, for all of the narratives of this this uh, clash of, of, of two teams of contrasting styles, for all that the Blue Jackets wanted to establish, wow, a uh, 2 nothing win on Sunday was just about textbook. Fair to say? 100%. I think uh, most anyone, if pressed to make a score prediction, would have if the blue if it was going the Blue Jackets' way, it would have been a one goal margin. <laughs> Certainly not two, and definitely not a shutout. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it was. I mean, huh, the I'm wondering I, to me this game today for Toronto says just absolutely massive things. One expects a huge pushback from them because this is. I mean, this is being down. Uh, you know, two one in a best of seven series. The brink is not too far away. Should you lose us, we're going to learn a lot about this Leafs team here today in Game Two. What is your expectation uh, for for what unfolds from maybe not just the final score, but what that Leafs team looks like in Game Two? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree completely. I think that you have to believe that this team is going to come out with some intent and some purpose. Um, But we've thought that before (laughs) about other teams and also the Blue Jackets, and they've surprised us. So, um, you know, this this is the 
mental side of this matchup that I was talking about before it started play in that the Blue Jackets have seen some shit yeah. and, and, and they can go. Um, and this Maple Leaf squad has yet to do that. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean they won't, and it doesn't mean they won't just get better and better, but uh, experiencing and learning you can overcome adversity can, can serve quite a bit um, in situations like this. Yeah, so let's get into it here. The Blue Jackets had a one tough lineup decision, really. Who starts in goal? And John yes. Tortorella, in concert with Manny Legacy, and perhaps others, made the decision to go with Eunice Corpusalo. If we're being honest right now, what did you think of that decision? And let me say this, I expected it to be Elvis. We didn't report one way or the other because we didn't know. But I, my gut told me Elvis, I should listen to my gut less. Um, your thought, what did you expect, Allison? How surprised were you? Yeah, I, I also expected Elvis, and you know we've talked about this, that um, he looked more sharp in camp, honestly. Yeah. Um, and and I, I do believe that Torts has always been a, you know, ice your best team. Um, we knew that he liked the seniority of Corpusalo and the dues paid, but I really thought Elvis was the sharper of the two, so I was surprised. Yeah. Um, but I was also not – I think some people were on the, the ledge – um, I, I didn't think the world was going to end <laughs> either. Yeah. Well, right, right. Um, and, and, and Corpy certainly uh, met and exceeded any expectations that probably even that coaching staff had when they made the decision. Yeah. I, through the years, have, have uh, found it really difficult. <laughs> I was talking on the side to Torts about this. Like, I just can't sit on his fastballs with the coach with goaltending decisions. A lot of coaches, you start to figure out a rhythm. Um, yeah. You start to figure, yeah, you don't know exactly what they're thinking, but you, you, you become familiar with their thought process. I was sitting on a fastball here with Elvis and, and he threw a change up again. And you have to say, I, and I don't think he had a bad decision to make in this, but you have to say he made the right decision. Corpusalo probably of the 28 shots. Yeah. 28 shots on goal that the Leafs had probably three of them had to be special. I'm thinking of the Robertson one early. I'm thinking of the Matthews one in the second period. And I'm sure there was another one in there that I'm not placing my finger on. It wasn't – people have asked this, is this the greatest goaltending performance in the playoffs for the Blue Jackets? And it's the, it's the first shutout in franchise history uh, in, in the playoffs for the Blue Jackets. So that's a pretty good way to start your argument if you're Jonas But I don't think he was an incredible in net because he didn't have to be. What was incredible was their defensive play um, in all points of, of the rink. And you wrote about that uh, today on the site, yesterday on the site was posted. What, um, tell us about that and, and what impressed you about this team's defensive play. Yeah, I mean it's and you know this is and, and this is not a secret. This team was challenged to play exceedingly well defensively to give a buffer to their goaltenders. And what you said is spot on is that these goaltenders have to make the saves that are challenging because so much else is just they're not even seeing it because the defense is playing so well. And we saw, you know, Seth Jones, I talked to him before the game. And he said, you know, our goal is to frustrate teams when they're trying to get through the neutral zone. That's when we start to create opportunities. And when they get into their offensive zone, our defensive zone, we want to keep them to the outside. And there was a series. I started 
tracking timestamps as the game was going on, starting at about nine minutes to go in the game, where it was just in and out for the Leafs, in and out, in and out. The Jackets would not let them set up. The Jackets wouldn't let them maintain possession. And, and then, you know, you look at it, they didn't even get a shot off for the last six minutes. Um, and when you think about what this Leafs team is, is heralded and, and honestly known to be, that's amazing um, that in all three zones, um, and there were ebbs and flows like Tort said for sure, but in all three zones, this Jackets team quietly and with purpose just said, not today, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and really shut them down. Yeah. And there's a couple things I've noticed here. Um, I meant to ask Tortorella about today, but yesterday there was a snafu um, with the interview process. I think the Blue Jackets sticks are more active in the last year than I remember them being previously. I used to complain about this with Carolina, how it looked like every guy on the team had two sticks and a stick in either hand. And it was just a lumber yard out there. Um, but I, I think Columbus is doing much the same now as St. Louis did last year. Maybe Boston does that as well. Maybe Dallas. It's a huge part of their defending how sure. disruptive they are with sticks. Alexander Wenberg was uh, particularly good with it. It's your feet, but it's also the way that they use their sticks. And I hear Tortorella speak frequently about how Bradshaw works with the defenseman on stick placement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if, if you have a sense for how that goes through the lineup, how much of an emphasis they put on that, because, boy, they really frustrated Toronto last night. Yeah, well, and it's, it's funny you say that. This was, these were, um, this was a theme. I, there's a link in yesterday's article to the article I did on the defense when the season hit pause. Um, and this quote didn't make it into that story, but this is Zach Wierenski right before the pause. Um, I was asking him if it's, if defense comes down to positioning and gap control. And he said, not really body position is a lot of it, but it's your stick. You can use your stick to deny those plays. Your stick is a very useful weapon. I think it goes unnoticed sometimes just having it on the ice or having it in the lane guys won't make the play. So just getting in lanes and making it hard. If they are going to make a play, it has to be through you. That's the stuff we talk about all the time. And then earlier this week, Cam said, um, in terms of how they were practicing, how they were really trying to reconnect with this defensive identity, he said, it's in the way we practice, especially with our sticks. That's all we harp on in video is having good sticks and checking properly. And that doesn't mean you have to go out of your way to make a big hit. It's putting yourself in position to break up a play or slow someone down. That's, and that's, that's the everything right yep. there. Yep. Yeah. And yet, excuse me, yet the balance of that, the, off, the other side of that is it's the least penalized team in the league. 100%. Or at least the team that is shorthanded the, the fewest amount of times. Um, that, that's impressive that they keep that balance. Mm-hmm. With right without you don't see the hooks you don't see the trips you don't see um, the interference calls they're they're just not they had one penalty the other night the Leafs had one power play they had two shots on goal I think the best chance may have been a shorthanded chance for for Columbus on that <laughs> by Boone yeah yeah and and no problem moving right along um, if I'm Toronto how worried should I be right now like there's been a, they're being they're 
getting absolutely savaged up there <laughs> and, and it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Um, imagine if the building had fans in it and if, if the media could get into the room there, we talked about this with James Myrtle on the podcast last, last uh, Friday, just how different um, this scene might be and how it could help the Leafs. Like it may not feel like the walls are closing in like it would normally, but it's a best of five series. You lose the first one, the walls start closing in. Um, I, I think there's so many guys to whom game two now has added importance. Like I, I thought Austin Matthews, while not ultimately effective, played his butt off the other night and was noticeable almost every time he was on the ice. Uh, the guy that surprised me, Allison, um, Mitch Marner, mm-hmm. played over 20 minutes, no shots on goal, uh, three shot attempts. He's not a shooter. He's more of a playmaker and a passer. So we give him a bit of a pass there. Uh, he was on for both goals, one of them an empty netter. But for him to play over 20 minutes, essentially one-third of the game, and not really leave an imprint on that game, I th- for me, he's the he's – the, uh, if you want to do like the opposite, what's the opposite of three stars? Oh. Uh, you see where I'm going. He'd be I the, do, yeah. He'd be the number one for them, in yeah. my mind. It, yeah, do you yeah. agree with that, or is that too harsh? Um, I mean, I, I, it's hard, right, because, I mean, then you've got – some defensive lapses by then. Cody CC wasn't great. I don't know what Kapanen was doing on that rush chance at all. Um, that, that could have been a, a sure goal or at least a really quality chance. Um, but I think when you look at what Marner is supposed to be for that team, I mean, he's certainly top three in this unnamed category yeah. that we can't think of right now. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm looking at the box and, and, you know, Tavares did more, he did more in the box score than I thought he did on the ice. Yeah, totally. But he won he 15 out of 19 faceoffs. He took seven shot attempts, two on goal. He wasn't very effective earlier or either. And what you were talking about earlier, how they went the final six minutes of the game without a shot on goal. Uh, included in that was, was, I think, two shifts where they sent Martyr, um, Matthews, and Tavares out over the boards together, which they've been known to do. Right. Right. And the fact that those three guys could be on the ice for a couple of shifts and still not get a shot on goal in a desperation setting, oh my, that, that, that would be a concern. Now, Pittsburgh knows how to push through this stuff. Washington knows how to push through this stuff. I think it's reaching a point now with Toronto where this is – I don't know how much – what this team looks like next year if they get bounced in the qualifying round by Columbus, how substantive the changes might be. Well, what do you feel like they need to do to, to be who they are? How do they, how do they wrestle this series back into a, a way that it's, it's played to their liking and not Columbus's because Columbus has a vice grip on this thing right now. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, um, one thing, and, and I, you know, again, I would challenge people go back and watch those last nine minutes. Cause it, it's borderline like a tennis match, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and, and just stark in how little Toronto is in the offensive zone. And, and I think, you know, when I do consider those other teams you mentioned, and, and I'm all for skill. I mean, you know that. But I think that what was – and it wasn't the blatant physicality that is often associated with hockey – but I feel like Toronto wasn't physical enough. I mean, Seth Jones was bodying up on everybody. Yeah. Zach Wierenski is, is, is manhandling his buddy Austin Matthews behind the goal. 
Um, and, and when you look at everything we talked about, those active sticks, those forwards who are clogging the neutral zone or denying the entry, it was almost like Toronto just accepted that. Right. Um, and, and they couldn't skill through it. Uh, so they just turned around and went the other way and tried again. Um, yeah. and, there, and there has to be a little bit of a, uh, I'm going to push through this. I'm going to carry this through with, with intention. I'm going I'm to give you a little shoulder rub and skate by you. I think some of that um, might be necessary for them to, again, in those final minutes, make a real push. It's not just getting in the zone. It's holding in the zone and creating a chance, and, and they couldn't do it. I don't want to, I don't want to say that, they, that it wasn't all there for them in terms of the needed passion to, complete, to compete. I, but I think I made the remark to you via text during the game. This just didn't feel like a playoff game for the for long sure. stretch. It was close. It was tight. It was a tight game, but it didn't have, maybe it's because you're not there in the building, but it didn't have that electric next level pace feel to me. And now maybe that's Columbus slowing Toronto down. Maybe that's Columbus denying the transition, um, but it didn't, you know, that Toronto or the Tampa Columbus game last year, the, the game one was amazing. It was just amazing. The pace that it's played at. And we, I've always said like you find yourself watching the pace that they maintain in the playoffs that teams maintain. And it like hurts to watch the game sometimes because it's almost unfathomable, unfathomable the amount of, energy that's being expended. I didn't get that sense from, from Toronto on Sunday. Is that unfair? No. And arguably, I mean, it wasn't even, I didn't necessarily see it from Columbus either. And that's not a bad thing. I just, it felt, it felt like a game. And, yeah. and to your point, I think that there were moments where you, you know, when you, when, when there was a, a good chance that set up or, or, as the time started to wind down, as one does start to say, Oh, here we go. You know, it's next goal is going to win. Or in this case, first goal is going to win. But the anticipation, the, the, the stress through 60 minutes uh, wasn't there. Now, I don't know if it's been there for me for any of these games that have been played. Um, I've enjoyed watching them for sure. It's certainly not unenjoyable hockey, but uh, it's just different. Yeah, maybe it is the lack of a crowd. I'm not sure. Um, I had a feeling in this game that I've never had. I believe this is the Blue Jack was the Blue Jackets' 32nd uh, playoff game in franchise history. I don't think I've ever had in any of the previous 31 that at some point the team they're playing could erupt. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I didn't when it got in when even early in the third it was like. It just felt like the, the stare down that Columbus was comfortable with and Toronto is not. Uh, and I, I, there was a point in the third period where I stopped, I stopped being concerned from the Blue Jackets standpoint mm. that, that Toronto was, was going to do something. Whereas if the Blue Jackets are one nothing against Pittsburgh or Washington, maybe Boston, there's a feeling, an understanding that, that, that those teams can make an absolutely – just righteous push. Yeah. And the Jackets would be holding on for dear life. Maybe Toronto comes out in game two and has that. But I didn't ever get that sense in game one that that this was the, – they the other team had the potential, Toronto had the potential to just overwhelm Columbus. And that, that was a different feeling. 
Yeah, I think the only I think I I had moments of that. I definitely, as I said, felt that ebb and flow through the first two periods. And the one time I did feel that was the start of the third. Toronto comes out. The first shift is entirely in their offensive jo- offensive zone. It looked like the injured Blue Jackets without Seth Jones yeah. when they couldn't get the puck out of the zone. Um, I think it was close to 55 seconds of time that Columbus could not clear the puck. Yeah. And, and I felt like, oh, here we go. They, they've, you know, they had an intermission. They said what needed to be said, and here we go. And then, of course, Cam Atkinson goes down and score. <laughs> and, um, and that was that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And and Savard basically, I, I wanted to ask Savard this, and didn't last night, but his play, his carom off the wall, that's just him getting the puck out of the 100%. zone. Like he, there's no way. There's a sense that the cam's coming over the board, and and he's quick to the change, and Toronto isn't. So he's going to be. I can't imagine it was that well coordinated, but it looked it looked like the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Just Savard's backpedaling and just sort of chips it off the wall. Here comes Cam motoring at 200 miles an hour, gathers, and boom, he's off. That's a bad goal, too, Allison. Oh, it's a, it's a bad it's goal. It's a bad goal. bad goal. It wasn't even far post. No. No, he just put it under his arm. Uh, Anderson said he, he, he read that Atkinson was shooting high, mm. and the puck went low. And some have said the puck sort of knuckled halfway there, but I don't know. That's a bad goal. Um, Let's talk, and you touched on this briefly. Seth Jones played one of his most visible games. Um, I was going to say in a long time. Yeah. But well, it's, it's true. <laughs> yes. Accurate, uh, but perhaps understated. Um, one of his more visible, like, he's a guy that's hard to miss because he's such a damn good player. But his two-way game uh, Sunday might, may have been as dominating as I've seen him play in the postseason, agree? Without question. Uh, he's a guy that, and we have the luxury of, um, and particularly that season that you and I always mention, what is it now, two years ago, that was his very best season to date, in our opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, multiple times a game where you'll say, just look at him play. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty hockey. It's, it's so beautiful to watch. But Sunday, he was impactful. And not that he wasn't before, yeah. but that he was on, he was making a statement. He was ready to play. Um, and it was fun to watch. I really like seeing that fully rounded side of his game. It was, it was well done by him in, in, in all facets. I've been thinking on this a little bit too. So one of the common threads um, around Seth Jones is that he's the top, one of the top five defensemen in the NHL. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair statement. Agreed. One of the complaints around here in Columbus is that he doesn't uh, doesn't win the Norris Trophy or Correct. hasn't has he yet, anyways. And I, I'm I'm on record if, if it matters to anyone that um, I certainly think he's in that conversation, and I've voted for him to win it three years ago. I think that year you're talking about. I have not voted for him to win it the last two. And it's not because I don't think he's one of the best defensemen in the game. I do. I just don't think he's had the stellar and consistently stellar season that, that a, an award of that distinction merits. And I think the, the one aspect of his game that maybe holds him back a little bit, I, I agree with Tortorella that people do not appreciate 
uh, the defensive aspects of a defenseman's game when they think of the Norris Trophy. Um, they think they think of, of offense, and often they look and see which offensive which defenseman had the most points, and go from there. That's not fair either. But I do I do think Jones sometimes ha- he has a wow factor offensively in terms of skating and transporting the puck and scoring. He's doing more and more of that. But there's not a lot of wow factor on the power play where a lot of guys explode and get huge points. He hasn't, he, I think he's gone a long time without a power play goal. Maybe he had two this year and none last year, but he's not been a consistent power play threat. And I think that's sort of the fact that he doesn't appear super dangerous offensively with regularity is what holds him back from that trophy. This is a long-winded setup for this. I wonder if him playing against Toronto in this playoff series and the way this is structured where when you play a game, the eyes of the league are upon your games. I wonder if this may aid him in being the coming out party that he's long awaited for. And if he plays great in this series, he may play himself into that top three distinction every year and perhaps have better footing to win the Norris. If that track wasn't way too windy and long, <laughs> Alex, if you're still with me, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do agree with your, your final point for sure. Um, because I think it harkens back to something that Torts has said all the time is that you make your legacy or your reputation in the playoffs Yeah. because that's where that's when, you know, a lot more people are watching. Um, and you and I were joking or griping. I was griping about the people who think they're hilarious commenting and saying, I don't even know anyone on the Blue Jackets roster, you know, this kind of thing. Um, but this schedule is set up for this. Every game at least gets a spotlight when there's still 24 teams playing because there's often just one game right. being played at a time. And, and people are watching. And so I think that any player who can have a commanding performance is going to start getting that, that spotlight, um, unlike they would even in a regular playoff year. Um, and I'm long on the record. I think the way that the Norris is voted for is flawed. I think that we don't understand how to evaluate defense. I don't think the best defenseman is simply the guy who scored the most points. Um, I, think that, I think there's so much more to it. Um, but I do, and I could go on, talk about a long-winded answer. I could go on on that for days. Yeah. But... Um, I do think that Seth Jones is going to win a Norris at some point. And I think that the play he showed Sunday, if he can keep that up, there's going to be a lot more people who know exactly who he is. Yeah. Even if he's not on the score sheet a ton of times, because I'm telling you that was, that was a, if it makes sense to say this, that was a different Seth Jones that I saw on Sunday for all the right reasons. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder sometimes if, you know, sometimes you can you can miss what's before you and maybe not appreciate it while you've got it. That defensive pairing of he and Wierenski is, you know, it, it's um, it's franchise defining right now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? It is, and you know, it's it's cool. I love from day one when they started playing together, and they almost started like making a pitch for it, and we were, I was asking you know, can you play those two together? Or do you at some point have to switch them up 
And now I don't think it's even a consideration because those two, there's just such a glow and a glare about those two when they're on the ice together. And I really feel like they could be the difference in this series. For sure. And I think that what I appreciate, I can't remember if I said this to you or someone else, I'm just thrilled we're no longer having the, it doesn't matter who I play with comments come out of, of questions because this is a, this is a great case as is um, arguably, I would even say, and we haven't seen it a lot yet, but the Wenberg Atkinson forward pair on the penalty kill. Yeah. Um, this is a, a perfect case study as to why chemistry is a thing and why it matters. Those two just get each other. They read off each other. They play well together. That's why they're trying them on the power play together. And last night, only that top line, a, a Dubois line, created more offense of any other Blue Jacket skater than the Wierenski-Jones pairing. Um, and so for that reason, and you know, Seth, there's a quote from Seth in, in my story yesterday about this, is that that's part of their defense too, is that it's not just saying we're going to keep you out. It's that you know if we get the puck, we're going to go the other way. And you've got to be ready for that too. And, and it, it's defining for that reason that when we go back to how Torts talked about the arrival of Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones to this franchise and how he was changing the way the defense played, um, arguably – these are two of the defining players in this new mode of, of the new kind of defenseman in the NHL in Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing how it all came together and how they're here. Uh, and you hope it, you hope it stays together and they're able to finish their careers here together. Cause that's, that's one of those super rare and special things if it happens that way. Oh, yeah. um, Allison game two later today. Your four o'clock. I know deadlines, friend. Um, your your thoughts on what to expect on either side here? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think you have to think that Toronto is going to come out with their best shot, and Columbus has to expect that. Um, like I mentioned, they were a little rusty on their transition play. Brad Shaw mentioned that to me as well before the series started. So they need to be more crisp there, make quick decisions. They need to make quicker decisions offensively. I saw a little too much, let me hold the puck on my stick while I think about what I'm going to do here, and now I'll shoot or pass. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I think this first period um, should be a doozy. Um, but this, will be, this, this could arguably be a series-defining game. Yeah, and in best of five, they kind of all have that weight about them. Um, it's pretty cool, the best of five. I kind of like it. Cause it gets warm. It gets warm quick. You know? Well, did you see the, um, after Carolina went up to nothing, uh, yesterday in the series, um, Sportsnet put out a, a stat that only one team in the history of a five game series yeah. has come back from a two nothing deficit. One it's team, one 55 and one, right? Yeah. One. Right. <laughs> and this may be the year it happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's 2020. Nothing is off the table. It happens again. Right. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Pittsburgh lost their opener. Yep. Toronto lost their opener. Who else lost their opener? Um, uh, Edmonton. Uh, lost Edmonton. Their yep. Mm -hmm. So one of those three teams is a step closer to gaining Alexis Lafreniere, which would be a freaking injustice. Oh my God. I'll die. Wouldn't it? I will absolutely die. Yes. Um, so Blue Jackets leaves game two later today. We'll be back with you. Uh, later in the week, we're still kind of sorting that out a little bit. We're going to see what's best. If we wait for for uh, game 
four on Friday, or if we go ahead after game three on Thursday, we know there's going to be a game three on Thursday. We don't know about Friday yet. Right. Um, so we'll keep you posted via Twitter, but we'll definitely be back with you uh, later this week. Thanks for listening to us. Um, thanks for being there through the long break, people. We finally have games back. Finally have a hockey game to talk about. The Blue Jackets are up in a playoff series. Um, and they feel like they're, they know their game. They feel like they're playing pretty well. So this could be a fun stretch. Allison, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Everybody stay safe. That's how we keep sport around is by doing the right things. Yep. Here are some episodes on the Athletics Podcast Network this week that you may want to check out. The two-man advantage is a five-day-a-week podcast. Our friend Scott Burnside takes a recap and looks ahead on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. He spends Wednesday with the Athletics national writer, Pierre Lebrun. There's also the Full 60, uh, studying the NHL's return to play roundtable with Craig Custance, Scott Burnside, Pierre Lebrun, Ryan Clark, Katie Strang, so many of your favorite national writers. That's Thursdays on The Athletic. So much to listen to, so much to read. Hope you can join us. Talk to you soon.